Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. I want to uh, I want to start this morning by thanking John for putting additional pressure on me the way he prayed <clears throat> there at the end. Uh, and he chose to pray a prayer like that on a Sunday that I feel awfully inadequate to communicate to you what the Bible says. Uh, I always feel inadequate, <clears throat> and, and maybe that's how it should be. But uh, this section of Romans is it, kind of, I don't know, I guess I call it a little bit technical uh, as far as uh, Paul telling us some things about Israel that we need to understand as believers. At the same time, it may not have as much immediate application for you to grab it and say, oh, that's, that means something for my life that I can, can use. And yet it's part of God's Word, and we're going through the book of Romans in this study, so it, so it is something that we need to, uh, that we need to know about, <clears throat> even though it's, uh, a little bit harder to communicate, I guess. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 11, the, the topic is, main topic, main theme is still God's sovereignty. Uh, but in, in Romans chapter 11, Paul has given us some proofs. Matter of fact, he's given us four main proofs in this chapter as to why God is not finished with Israel. And the reason that needs to be dealt with, because there's an element in the world that sometimes wants to make it sound like, well, the Jews are no good. The Jews did not receive their Messiah. They, you know, plotted and planned to have him crucified. So, uh, you know, God's just finished with the Jews and we need to be finished with the Jews. And, uh, and the people will even teach who have that, who have that doctrine, have that theology. People like that will even teach that, uh, that the church is the new Israel. But, but that's not what the Bible teaches. At all. The Bible does not teach that God is forever finished with the nation of Israel. And, and, and Paul, inspired of God, by the way, uh, wrote these words. So they're words that we need to help us understand more about God's relationship, uh, still yet with the nation of Israel. Uh, like I said, there's four main proofs. We, uh, we looked at, uh, at two proofs last week in, uh, in verse one down through verse 10 of chapter 11. There, Paul was basically given personal proof. He was saying, look, I myself am an Israelite, uh, and I was saved on the other side of the nation of Israel, rejecting the Messiah. So the very fact that Paul was saved and being used by God is evidence that God's not done with the Jews, not done with Israel. He also gave some historical evidence because he looked back into the Old Testament and he said, look, here's some other reasons why God's not done with the nation of Israel. One is the foreknowledge of God. God always knew that Israel would reject the Messiah to start with. It did not come as a surprise uh, whatsoever. So because of God's foreknowledge, he knew it would happen. He, he also gave some historical proof saying that, that in the Old Testament, if we would read it right and look at it, never ever in the time of the nation of, of Israel 
did everyone believe. There was not ever any time that everyone was faithful, but God always dealt with a remnant. So the fact that he dealt with a remnant, and he's still dealing with a remnant of uh, faithful, shows that God is not finished with the nation of Israel. Third proof he gave historically last week involved God's grace. And simply put, that means this. God chose Israel not because they deserve to be chosen. God chose Israel as a sovereign act of his own will. God chose Israel based upon his grace, not because they were worthy, not because of their performance. So if God chose Israel because of his grace, Israel cannot keep itself by its performance. Does that make sense? It's all about the grace of God. All right, some of you are looking like, I don't know. But, well, all right, here, let me, let me bring it up to a modern, uh, a modern illustration for you. You're saved by God's grace if, in fact, you're saved. Amen? Not by your works. You cannot keep your saved, yourself saved by, by your works. It's all of God's grace that help you understand it. Same thing true with the nation of Israel. And then he even dealt with prophecy. He said, look, God always said in the Old Testament they would reject the Messiah, and I would take the, the gospel to the Gentiles. So he gives us that as historical proof. <clears throat> Today, as, uh, as we look at verse 11 down through 24, uh, Paul is going to give us some, what, what I'm calling dispensational proof. Now, uh, several of you probably used that word 10 or 12 times this week, right? At work or something? You know, you said dispensational this and dispensational that. And if you did say it, someone in, in this area probably thought, man, that's some new cuss word or something. They didn't understand what you're... You don't use the word dispensational a lot, you know. It's one of those churchy words, one of those theological words. <clears throat> well, well, to help you kind of understand it, the, the, the word dispensational basically means this, that God chooses to deal in specific ways with mankind over different periods of history. God sovereignly chose to deal with Israel the way that he chose to deal with them in specific ways. God now has specifically chosen to deal with the Gentiles, which as far as I know, because I don't know everyone's background, if there's someone here that is Jewish, you know, God bless you, the Messiah came through your race. But for the most part, I think probably all of us ought to be really happy today that 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 God decided to deal with the Gentiles because we're Gentiles. And had he not presented and offered salvation to us, we'd be without hope. So that just gives a picture of how God chooses to deal in specific ways, dispensational ways, with mankind. So what Paul is really doing in these verses, he's going to give us some dispensational proof showing how God dealt with the Gentiles or is dealing with the Gentiles, how God will deal with Israel today to help us understand that God is not finished with the nation of, of Israel. Okay. Here, here's the first thing. If you're following along in your notes and, 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 and taking blanks and filling in. By, by the way, let me, let me stop for a minute because I'm about to forget to say this. Please remember all through this message, and I will revisit this three or four times during the message. Please remember in this passage of Scripture, Paul is not writing about individual salvation. He's writing about how he relationally deals with a group of people called, the, called Israel, and how he deals with a group of people called the Gentiles. And if you fail to recognize that, that's the context of what he's saying in this chapter. If you fail to recognize that, you're going to be screwed up pretty bad in your theology. Because you'll wind up thinking that, well, you know, sounds like that 
that God is going to take someone that has been saved and break them off and throw them away and, and things like that. He's not talking about individual salvation. He's looking at the nation of Israel as a group. He's looking at the Gentiles as a group. So bear that in mind and help you stay right doctrinally as we, uh, as we go through the message. And it's, that's so important. I will emphasize that a couple of times. Uh, to, to start with this morning, he gives us some dispensational proof that God is not finished with Israel as seen in, in his dealings, God's dealings with the Gentiles. That's what he's going to talk about to begin with. God chose to deal with the Gentiles in a specific way. And that's what he's doing in this day and time, offering salvation to the Gentiles. Look at these verses and then we'll kind of uh, break it down some. He said, so, so I ask. So Paul's raising a question. Did they, talking about Israel, did they stumble in order that they might fall? And, and when you read that in the Greek, he's kind of given the, the idea that did they stumble and they have fallen permanently. Uh, and, and of course he answers that by no means the nation of Israel has not fallen permanently. God has not done with them forever. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, see, right there, he's saying God's not finished with Israel. If, if salvation comes to us because of their failure to receive the Messiah, and that's a great thing, imagine how much greater it will be whenever God puts Israel, brings believing Israel back in, is what he's saying. He goes on, and he says, Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I, the Apostle Paul himself, is an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, in other words, because they said no to the Messiah, God has brought the gospel to the Gentiles, and through faith in Jesus, we can be reconciled with holy God. He said, what will their acceptance mean but life from, from the dead? So <clears throat> let's... Uh, Let's look at a couple of things there to help us better understand all that, all that passage. First of all, think about the purpose of Israel's failure. The purpose of Israel's failure. God had a purpose, a plan. Remember, we're talking dispensational stuff. God was going to deal specifically with the nation of Israel when they rejected the Messiah for a purpose. The, the, there's a purpose that, that Israel failed to, to receive Him. He says, so I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? He said, by no means. Rather, here's the purpose. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. In other words, because Israel rejected the Messiah, God has now taken the gospel, and he's offering the gospel to non-Jewish people, to, to people who are not part of, uh, of Israel whatsoever. He has a dispensational purpose. Israel stumbled. Remember a few weeks ago, we, we called Jesus what? He's the stumbling what? Stone. Jesus himself is a stumbling stone. Israel stumbles over him, trips over him. But their fall is not a fatal fall. It's a purposeful fall. It's a fall that they experience that has God's designed purpose in it. Now, now, let me cover about three things here just real quickly that I think shows a, a purpose in, in Israel's fall. The first one is simply this. The, the purpose of Israel's failure to receive Christ as the Messiah, that's what he's talking about, was to bring the gospel and salvation to the Gentiles. That's the first purpose. That's why they failed. He said, in order that through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, now don't misunderstand that. It is not like God 
had to scratch his head and think, oh, Israel rejected the Messiah, so I've got to have plan B. No, you see, it was always plan A that God would offer salvation to the Gentiles. And here's why I say that. God promised Abraham, made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. And he said, uh, he said to Abraham, God told Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples, not just the Jews. All peoples also includes the Gentiles. In the original covenant, in that original promise God made with Abraham, God is saying up front, it's not just going to be for your offspring, Abraham, through you and through your offspring, which, by the way, that's ultimately fulfilled by Jesus because Jesus comes through the Jewish race. He says, I'm going to bless all the people of the world. So it was always God's plan, always His plan to offer salvation to the Gentiles, even shown in the original promised covenant that He made with Abraham. Aren't you glad God keeps His promise? <laughs> because we're part of the Gentiles. So so that's that, that's primarily... The purpose that Paul gives us here. But, but also I see another purpose there. The purpose of Israel's failure was also to supply gospel reaches to the world. He said now if their trespass, if their failure to receive Christ means reaches to the world. Do you see what he, I think he's referring to the gospel. Do you see how he calls the gospel reaches? Now honestly think about that for a moment. What is more valuable than the gospel? Now, if you're going to think in worldly terms and in just physical terms and things like that, you might think, well, man, Pastor, if I had $5 million today, I would think I'd be doing pretty good. Well, you know what you might be, but I'll serve notice of you. You don't get to take it with you. And if you don't get to take it with you, the fact that you had $5 million in your back pocket right now would mean nothing in eternity. The finest house is the finest car. You, you, you know, the, the Bible talks about one day this world is going to pass away and there's going to be a new world. So everything we might think so valuable one day, you might think, well, man, if I could just own a Van Gogh, I could sell that for millions of dollars. I hate to tell all of you art lovers because I'm an art lover myself, but one day it's all going to be burned up. This world's going to pass away. There'll be a new world. So what is more valuable than the gospel? And my, my argument would be the riches of the gospel is the most valuable thing for us because it gives us everlasting life. The, the riches of the gospel offers forgiveness to us because we're sinners. It offers us our only hope that Jesus came in the flesh and he died in our place on the cross. And he took his life back up to show we can have everlasting life. And he stands with open arms and he invites us to be part of his family. I don't know what is more valuable than that. So the failure of Israel also was to provide riches to the world and, and riches of the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. And I don't want to deal with this one in you know, very much detail, but I also think the purpose of Israel's fall did this. It put everybody on the same level ground to where God, in other words, uh, condemns the whole human race, not just the Gentiles. So God can give mercy to all of us. I'm thankful, aren't you thankful today, that the ground at the cross is all level. That I don't have to become a Jew, and you didn't have to become a Jew. A lot of argument about that in the New Testament. Well, you got to be circumcised first, and da-da-da-da, you know, all kinds of different things and all. And uh, they were talking to adult men that was coming to faith in Jesus, you know. <laughs> you know. 
So uh, I, I think they were glad to hear they didn't have to do that and, uh, and, and, and everything. Instead, it was by faith. Amen? But, but it's all level. Our, 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 it's all level at the cross. And, and by the Jews being set aside, that puts us all on level ground there at the, at the cross. So, first of all, we, we, we're looking at the purpose of Israel's failure. That's what he's talking about. But he, but he also gives us the purpose of the Gentiles' faith. <clears throat> the, the fact that non-Jewish people have faith, there's a purpose behind that. And, and here's the primary purpose. So as to make Israel jealous. God has taken the gospel to the Gentiles, wanting to make Israel, His own people, jealous for the very relationship that we have with their God. He, he wants to prompt something in them to where they think, man, I, you know, we, we, we used to have really vital worship with God, a relationship with God, but now, I mean, Israel, if you'll think about it, they, they don't even have a sacrifice anymore. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And all those old sacrifices were pictures of the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus coming in once and for all, dying for sin. But the fact that God has brought the gospel to the Gentiles, there's a dispensational purpose that God has. It's a plan that God has for dealing with the, the, the Jews, and He's wanting to make them jealous to where they would have the desire to believe. And by the way, they're going to do it, because look what Paul says in the second part of verse 12. How much more will their full inclusion mean? I addressed that just a moment ago. Paul is saying, look, it will happen. God's using the Gentiles, the relationship that we have with God through Christ, using that to make the Jews, Israel, jealous, because one day they will see Him, and one day they will believe. The Bible says they'll see Him who they pierced, and they will believe in Him. There's coming a future time when they will believe. Paul talks about his own ministry. He said his own ministry had the purpose and the design to try and make the Jews jealous. In verse 13 and 14, he said, Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. God sent him to the Gentile world. But he said, I magnify my ministry to the Gentiles. Here's why. In order, he said, to somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and save some of them. Paul said, I want them to be jealous of what I have and what the Gentiles have, so somehow some of them will come to faith now. And then look what he says in verse 15. He said, for their rejection means reconciliation with the world. In other words, because Israel said no to their Messiah, God brings the chance of reconciliation to a lost and dying world, to non-Jewish people, to the Gentiles. He, he said if if that meant reconciliation to the world, their acceptance. And, and, and by the way, the word acceptance means this. The word acceptance means admission, receiving. Uh, the root word is built from means to take to oneself as food. That's, I don't know, that's a pretty intimate type thing, isn't it? You're, you're feeding upon something. You're actually putting it in your body. That's a pretty close connection. It was also used to speak of friendship. He, so, so he's saying this. He, he's saying in, in verse 15 that their rejection means reconciliation to the world. What will their acceptance when God accepts them? Once again, that closely to himself, what will it mean but life from the dead? And there's several ideas that, that, you know, that Bible scholars have as to what Paul means there. One is this, that just as dramatic as it will be when the resurrection takes place for believers, it will be that dramatic in the world when Israel comes back to their God. Uh, another idea is this. It, it will be like from life, from, from death unto life, because right now, non-believing Israel 
They're dead. Non-believing Gentiles are dead. The Bible says we're dead in trespasses and sin. And yet we come to life when we have faith in Jesus. He said that will happen when the Jews come back to him. It will be a time of joy and rejoicing as though someone came from death to life when Israel comes back to their God. A time of celebration and great rejoicing. The terrible failure that they had in rejecting Christ will make their eventual acceptance of Him vivid and wonderful beyond our wildest dreams, is, is what he's saying. So, he starts out talking about dispensational proof God's not finished with Israel by talking about the Gentiles. God's offered faith to the Gentiles, but he's saying it's to make them jealous and they will come back to Him. The second main dispensational or specific plan that God had in dealing with Israel, and that proves that God's not finished with Israel, is seen in God's dealings with Israel themselves. What, what Paul does is shift from talking about the future belief of Israel to talking some about their past heritage. And as he talks about their, their, their past heritage, he's going to give us two, two primary illustrations for us to look at. He, he's going to talk about a, a lump of dough, and he's going to talk about an olive tree. And you need to pay attention to what he's saying to kind of understand what's, what's, what's taking place here as he gives this, this illustration to prove that God's not finished with the Jews. At the same time, by the way, in there, there'll be kind of a serious warning for the Gentiles. Especially if you don't know Christ as your Savior. There's going to be a serious warning here. And I, I, the reason I won't point that out, I recognize, as I said last week, when I'm talking about this stuff about Israel, and it can be kind of technical, like I said, to start with, and there's a danger you might be listening to all this and say, well, so what? Well, here's the so what. God put it in the Bible. We're going to believe in God and follow Him. We need to know what He says about Israel, too. Okay, part of the Bible. But there, there's a really practical part that we need to understand today. And, and you'll see that as we get near the uh, the, the the end of it. I want to remind you again, especially in this section here, Paul is not talking about individual sinners and individual people being saved. Please remember that. He's talking about looking at the nation of Israel nationally, not personally, not as individuals. God is talking about a group of people through the pen of Paul here. And if you fail to get that, you'll see real quickly why I can mess up what the Bible teaches about salvation in, in your mind. First illustration he gives is a lump of dough. Lump of dough. Uh, I'm not sure how much of an attractive illustration that is, you know. You're a lump of dough, you know. Any of you guys ever gone for a date and looked at your date and said, you're, you're just like a lump of dough to me. And, uh, and I, but that's the that's illustration that, that he's using. First illustration, a lump of dough. And in this illustration about a lump of dough, what he's teaching is this. What God accepts in, in part, when God accepts the part, he, he also accepts the whole. Look, look what he said. If the dough offered as the first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. Now, to give you a background to that, look what's said in, in the book of Numbers. Uh, the Lord spoke to Moses, and he said, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land, in other words, when I put you in the promised land uh, that I'm bringing you to, and when you eat the bread of the land, you shall present a contribution to the Lord. So, you know, he's telling them you kind of need to make offerings to God in a lot of different ways to recognize what God has done for you and to worship Him because of what God has done by bringing them in, into the promised land. 
He says, of the first of your dough, you shall present a loaf as a contribution, like a contribution from the the threshing floor. Now that meant this. When they would first harvest their grain, they would take some sheaves of that grain and wave it before the Lord in in a way of worshiping God and saying, God, you're the one that has done this. You know, we, we get away from that sometimes. If you, if you think, you know, food line or Ingalls or even fair value, I know we got people who work at fair value. If you think they're the one feeding you, I've got some good news for you. They would not have a thing to put on the shelf if it were not for God. And, and that's the idea of recognizing God with this. Well, he said, so when you make your first bread, that first lump of dough that you make the bread from, you're to offer it to me as a form of worship. By, by doing so, what Paul had said a, a, just a moment ago, he he said that that lump, when that is accepted in, in, in part, it's also a picture of God accepting the whole. They didn't offer all the bread or all the grain. They offered part of it in recognition of what God had done, and yet it was all God's. You understand that? It all belonged to Him. Anyway, so it, it's as though all of it were being accepted by God, even though they're just offering part of it, Okay. Now, now, here's the deal with that. That lump of dough represents the founding fathers of the nation of Israel. God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Isaac. God made a covenant with Jacob. And God accepted them, not because they were worthy. Read the story about them. I mean, they told lies and messed up just like we do. God accepted them and made a covenant with them based on grace. They didn't deserve it. I mean, before, you know, Jacob had his name changed to Israel, his name meant a schemer, a supplanter. That's what he was called out of the womb. He was scheming, trying to hold on to his brother's ankle, pull him back in so he could be first when he was born. So it's not because they deserved it. God, by his grace, made covenants with Abraham and Isaac and, and Jacob. So the fact that God made covenants with them, they're the lump of dough, In doing so, God also looks at the whole nation of Israel as being accepted to him. Group of people, not individual salvation. You understand the difference? The second illustration that that he gives here is is this, of, of an olive tree. And as he talks about the olive tree... The main point maybe we need to get this morning, there's a lot of things here and I'm going to cover them, but the main point I want you to, to maybe grab is this, the, the goodness and the severity of God. And like I said, you might be wondering, well, how does all this apply to me because, you know, I'm not part of Israel and everything. Well, I guarantee you this part applies to you. Because here's the deal with it. God is a good God, a kind God, but God is also sometimes a severe God. God is a God of love. Amen? He proved it by putting His Son on a cross. That's a pretty big statement. Pretty big valentine. At the same time, that loses its significance and its luster if we fail to understand that God is a holy God. And when we understand that God is a holy God and we're sinners, our only hope is in the Savior. That's what magnifies what Jesus did on the cross. So, yes, God is a good God, but we live in a culture today that that's all people want God to be. They just want God to be a God of love, but the truth of the matter is He's holy and also a God of judgment. So much so, if you want to see what judgment looks like, 
Look at what Jesus went through on the cross. That's judgment for our sin on one individual. If you want to see a picture of God being a God of judgment. And if he would do that to his son in order that we might be saved, I hate to think about what would happen to people that refuse his son and are never saved. He's a good God, but he's also a severe God. So, so think about that. Give you some background to this olive tree. Jeremiah chapter 11, the Lord once called you, talking about the nation of Israel, a green olive tree, beautiful with good fruit. But the roar of a great tempest, uh, with the roar of a great tempest, he will set fire to it and its branches will be consumed. In other words, because of your disobedience and your rebellion, you know, yes, you're an olive tree, but God said, I'm going to consume you. Hosea, God also refers to the nation of Israel as an olive tree. He said, I, I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like a lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive in his fragrance like Lebanon. So that's just a couple of instances. There's more than that, but that's a couple of instances in the Old Testament where God refers to the nation of Israel as an olive tree. Now that in background, listen to what Paul writes here in Romans. And if the root is holy, so are the branches but if some of the branches were broken off, and in the root, I'll say more about that in just a second. The root's talking about the patriarchs again, like the lump of dough. Well, here the root is talking about the patriarchs that the nation of Israel grows from. And, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, talking to the Gentiles, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing branch of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. He's warning us just because we receive the grace of, the God, grace of God now and the gospel's coming to the, to the Gentiles, we better not be arrogant toward the Jews. And he says, if, if you are, remember, it is not you, the Gentiles, that support the root, which refers to the patriarchs and the root of the tree that's Israel, but it's the root, the patriarchs, that support you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And that is true, Paul says. They were broken off because of their unbelief. That's why they were removed. But you stand fast through faith. He said, you better keep the faith. You better believe in my son. So do not become proud, rather. He just talked about not being arrogant. And he said, don't be proud. But instead, stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness or the goodness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut out. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. Talking about Israel again. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back into their own olive tree? See, God's saying it will happen. That Israel will come back into the into the fold, so to speak. As he gives us this, this illustration about the, the olive tree, I want to remind you again, because I can't stress it enough. If you don't remember it right now, here's what's going to happen. If you don't remember, he's talking about groups of people. 
And the context of this is the nation of Israel and how God has set them aside to take the gospel to the Gentiles and how Israel will come back to him. If you don't remember that right now, it's going to be pretty easy. Did you see what I just read a moment ago? Wouldn't it be pretty easy if you don't bear in mind he's talking about a group of people to think that he's saying an individual believer, he will break you out and throw you away. You see how it can mess up your doctrine? So bear in mind. As we as we cover this last part here before we close the service today and everything, I want you to please, please bear in mind that he's talking about groups of people. He's talking about his plan in dispensational specific times of history, how he dealt with Israel, how he's dealing with the Gentiles. And, and this root that he's talking about, this olive trees, the covenants that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and and Jacob. Let's talk about the goodness of God to start with. I like that, don't you? The goodness of God. The, the goodness of God is seen in the engrafted branches. Both believe in Gentiles and believe in Israel. <clears throat> he, he wrote there, he said, but if some of the branches were broken off, talking about Israel that did not believe, although in you, talking about the Gentiles, although you, like a wild olive sheet, were grafted in and share in the nourishment of the foundation there the covenants that god made with the patriarchs don't be arrogant toward the branches if you are remember you're not the one that's supporting the deal they are is what he's saying and you might argue back well the branches were broken off so i've been put in and he said that's true but they were broken off because of their unbelief and, and you need to stand stand firm in your faith and don't become proud but instead stand and stand in awe a couple of things there to talk about. He calls Gentiles a wild olive shoot or a wild olive branch. I can relate to that. Now, you might sit back in piety and everything, and maybe you did live a lot better than me. I'm not saying people don't. I hope a lot of people live better than I did early on in my life and everything. But you might be sitting there and thinking, man, they don't describe me. I'm a pretty good cookie, you know, and everything. Well, I'm telling you, I was a wild branch, Okay. And if a lot of you be honest, you were wild branches. Amen? Y'all be so thankful God in His grace has taken you and saved you and put you in His tree. Because that's who you were. But the fact that God has done that does not give us room to be arrogant. We, we don't have room to be arrogant and put down the Jews and write off the Jews and write off Israel. He, he tells us we better not do that. Why? Because we're based on that same root structure, the same foundation of faith. And, and he even says this, he, he, he said, don't be, don't be proud, but stand in awe. Now, this is a little bit more practical. It doesn't have to do with just Israel and, and things like that. But I, I, I'm telling you, I think this is one of the, one of the greatest hindrances to the going forth of the gospel and the growth of the church in this day and time in our culture. And that is people get saved. They have this wonderful awe of their salvation. But somewhere along the way, they start to lose the wonder of it all and the awe of it all. And in the process, instead of remembering I deserve to go to hell for all eternity. I'm a sinner without any hope. And God saved me not because of who I am, but only by His grace. Somewhere along the way, we kind of forget that and we get proud and we start acting like goody two-shoes out in our culture and people don't want to hear the gospel because we act like we've always been good people. 
And you see, people will come into our churches sometimes, and if we're not real, and if we're not authentic, and if we don't tell people that we struggle just like they do, and if we try and act like we're always perfect, good little Christians and everything, they'll come in and they'll think, I, I don't fit there. You know, it's not for me. I tell you what, the worst sinner in the world fits here because all of us are lost and undone and without any hope except for Jesus. Amen? We better be careful about the pride thing. And we better be careful about getting over our salvation because we ought to always stand in awe that God did that for me. That, that God sent His Son to die on a cross for me. So God in His goodness engrafts the, the Gentiles in. And, and this is kind of like a family tree. I don't know if you get in the picture. You know what a family tree is, don't you? You know, you start down here with whoever, you know, the beginning of the family, you trace it back. Used to, you had to do a lot of research these days. You can go online, put in some dates, everything like that, pop up, you know, have a family tree. That's kind of like what's talking about here. The patriarchs are like the root of the family tree, and then, you know, the believers, believe in Israel and believe in Gentiles, come out from it. So, Gentiles, which is us, we, we're engrafted, but also... Believe in Israel will be engrafted because notice that God in His goodness not only grafted in the Gentiles, He says this in verse 23 and 24, and, and, and even they, talking about the Jews, if they do not continue in their own belief, will be grafted in. I mean, right now today, just because the nation of Israel rejected their Messiah initially, there are Jews in this world who are Messianic Jews, that's what the technical term is for them, who have believed in their Messiah, they believed in Christ, and they're saved today, and Jews can be saved today. But there's a future time when the nation as, as a whole, they're going to see him and know who he is. He said, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by, it, but if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature, in other words, something shouldn't have even have happened, <laughs> into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these natural branches, talking about Israel, be grafted back in. He's saying by His grace, he's, he's going to engraft them back in because He's a good God. He will engraft them back in. He's a kind God in His kindness. He will engraft them back in. Notice what He, what he says there. They'll be grafted back into whose olive tree? Whose is it? What does it say? Their own. It's Israel's to start with. It's their tree. How dare we get arrogant and act like it's ours? Because it's theirs. And God, by His grace, grasps us in. So that's the goodness of God. But as much as I'd like to stop there, there's another aspect of God's character. And that's the severity of God is, is seen in these broken off branches. His goodness is seen in Him engrafting in Gentiles and, and Israel who believe. The severity of God is seen in broken off branches because... Unbelieving Israel, because of their lack of faith, they've already been broken out. But he's given us a warning. Please take the warning here for the Gentiles. Right now, dispensationally, remember we're talking about how God specifically deals with people at periods of time as he chooses in history. Right now, the gospels come to the Gentiles. But just as Israel said no, 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 no to the Messiah, there's coming a day because the Gentiles have said no, 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 no. He's going to quit offering it to the Gentiles. There's a future day the Bible talks about as Israel sees him as he is and they come to faith in him. 
in the tribulation period. The Bible talks about the other nations of the world getting together. (laughs) I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm laughing because it's crazy. Getting together to fight against God and His Lamb, Jesus. The one that spoke creation into existence. The one who said, let there be life. You could just say, let there not be life, and you're finished. There's coming a time when when the Gentiles, because of God's severity, will not be offering salvation to them because they said, no, 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 no. And as a group of people, remember he's talking about groups of people, the nation of Israel will return and God's going to look at the Gentiles because they rejected, they rejected, they said, no, 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 no. Here's why this is not teaching. Please, please, please get this. I don't want anyone leaving here being messed up. He is not teaching that God will break out individual believers. That's not what he's saying. What did we see in Romans chapter 8? There's therefore now no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus, but later on near the end of the chapter, what did he say? Nothing, 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 nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. He will never separate us. Not if you're a believer. That's not what this passage is teaching. Some people get all messed up and they'll think, well, you can get saved and then you can lose your salvation. How are you saved then? Were you saved by the grace of God because of what Jesus did on the cross? Yes. How do you stay saved? You aren't saved by your performance. You're not going to stay saved by your performance. You understand that? You're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But the severity of God is this. He broke out non-believing Israel. And there's coming a day and time that even though right now he's dealing with the Gentiles as a group of people offering salvation, there's coming a time that he's going to break that off. Because they said no, 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 no. So I I, I told you, this is a lot of technical stuff that we need to know as Christians because we need to have the right relationship with Israel and understand what what God is doing with Israel. We need to be thankful for Israel. Thank God Jesus came to them. Amen? But even though all that was kind of technical stuff, here's the point you really need to get before we come to the end of this message. God is a kind God. He can also be a severe God. He's a God of love. He's a God of goodness. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. But if we refuse His love, His grace, and His mercy, He's also a God of judgment. So, so can I, before you know, John and the band come back out and we do this song we call an invitational song at church all the time, can, can I kind of ask you a, a simple, really, really simple question, I think? Given your choice, given your preference, would you rather experience the goodness of God or would you rather experience the severity of God? Because that's really the only choice you have. 
We can experience the goodness of God by believing in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. And by God's grace, through faith in Christ, God puts us into His family, grafts us into the family tree. Or you can say no and experience the severity of God. So which, which do you want to experience? God's goodness, God's kindness, or God's severity? Let's pray. Father, we God, I want to pray to start with for Israel. God, I I just pray that that they would be made jealous by seeing the Gentiles worship you and love you and trust in your Son. God, that you'd provoke a jealousy in them that that draws them to their Messiah. God, you put the words in Paul's heart to write down that he magnified his own ministry to the Gentiles, hoping to make Israel jealous. God, I pray that prayer for us, for the church in this day and time, that that you would magnify our ministry, that Israel would be jealous and have the desire to come to you. But God, I also pray this morning for anyone here that does not know Christ as Savior. God, I thank you that you're a loving God. I thank you for your, for your kindness, for your goodness, for your grace. And Father, if there's someone here that has not experienced that, Lord, even though they think they're like a wild branch, they don't deserve it. God, none of us deserved it. God, help them right, right now to understand that through your Son and faith in Him, you will graft them in to your family tree. Father, also help anyone here that does not already know Christ as Savior to understand there's coming a day that they will experience your judgment and your severity if they say no to your Son. Help us to listen and hear as you speak to us right now. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The band leads us. Maybe uh, maybe you're someone today that feels called to come down and pray for Israel. To come down and pray that, that the Jews would come to faith in their Messiah. Or maybe you just need to come down and kneel and say, God, thank you that I was a wild branch and you took me and you put me in your family tree. Something pretty good to thank God for. Or maybe you're someone today that's never believed. Will you consider right now the kindness of God in Jesus dying on the cross for you or the severity of God one day in judgment? And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I invite you to come believe in Him by faith as the band sings. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.